0: to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, we are now at part two of our three-part series with Matt Alderton from BX Networking. Now, if you missed part one, make sure you go back and have a listen to that because in that episode, we talked all about Matt's early experiences in building small businesses, the subway franchises, cafes, and video stores. And in this episode, we discuss how his start in owning and building these small businesses helped to contribute to his next move, which was to start an online payroll rostering business. In this episode, we dig into understanding as well how to use employee share schemes and arrangements in order to increase employee retention, the lessons along the way when selling to a public company and the importance of timing for your exit. We also really dig into a lot of differences when selling to a private versus a public company buyer, what you need to be aware of when you're selling to a public company and the differences in selling and the process of negotiation dealing with a public company versus a private buyer. And finally, we also talk about the importance of shareholders agreements. Now, if you miss part one, don't forget to go back and listen to that. But for now, here we go with part two with Matt. I really want to focus on the next big business venture after, you, you know, the subways and the video shops. Um, let's talk about this next business because there was quite – um, there was quite a different, there was a, quite a changing gear for you in terms of your approach, not just because you were not then dealing with franchises, but I guess that that is one element um, and it'd be interesting to reflect on your your difference, the differences that you felt in the businesses there. But let's talk about the next business.
1: Yeah, so the next business that I started like before BX was a business called IWS, which was Integrated Workforce Solutions. And so IWS, I started... Uh, from a, like what it did, it, it actually, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, it created um, online rosters. Uh, so my management team across all my shops could do their rosters online and I could have transparency on that. I could see what was happening. Biggest cost in retail uh, is your cost of goods and your wages and having transparency on that is super important. Uh, and there was nothing out there that did that. My first instinct was to go look for something that was available in the marketplace to, to do it. There was nothing. So I thought I'll, I'll build it so I could do it for my shops. And we, you know, we had nine shops in a very short period of time, so it made sense to invest in that. Uh, And so what I then did, and I mentioned I was working full-time as well, so I was working for this company that had a whole bunch of other retail shops as well. So I wanted to be able to, you know, provide for that as well. Uh, And so we built this online rostering payroll solution, so from all the way from who was rostered to who worked and paying them, so it was all automated, uh, knowing that that was going to save us a heap of time and, and save us a heap of money as well. And what we found is that so many people outside of our businesses were looking at, uh, the so because employees work in subways, at not just your shop, but other shops and stuff. And all of a sudden, people are asking about it. I'd go to a franchise meeting. I'd be having conversations with the subway owners about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, you can use it. And like, how much is it going to cost? And I'm like, oh, such and such a week. And like, I'm just pulling numbers out of my head, right? kind of thing. And before we knew it, we were selling that um, and um, give and offering it to there. And and then I you know started to realize the value proposition of what we're doing. And then created the business of IWS, grew it and scaled it um, within the first probably three, four years, brought on two key people. Um, one of them is still the CEO of the organization. One of them was a, like a sales manager, and both were just instrumental of, uh, for the growth of the business. Um, And I always say the best decisions you can make um, with any new business or any business is the people that you bring on. Hire slow, fire, fast, I always say. Make sure you've got the right people because that first person you hire uh, will either double your capacity or will halve it. So you've got to have the right people in the right seats. Uh, And so I was very fortunate. The first two people that I recruited for the organization, uh, one is still the CEO today, uh, and he was the operations manager at the time, and one was a sales manager. um, And he was with us for about seven or eight years um, and instrumental in the growth of the business. Uh, Because, you know, running retail shops and and everything else that I was doing, can't run the business by myself. Got to have good people to do that. Uh, And so that's the number one lesson I would probably have learned through any of the businesses that I've had is the people that are in your organisation are going to be the make or break of that success for that business. Um, so I grew it and scaled it. In about um, so by about 2013, 14, 15, we're experiencing some growing pains. We're in that seven-figure realm. We've got, you know, um, thousands of clients uh, we, we're providing payroll and rostering services for, uh, and we're feeling just that pain of Scalability, uh, and we probably reached our sort of benchmark of without having to do more in the business. And we realized we probably need to spend um, around one and a half, two million dollars over the next few years to upgrade the technology, to bring on key personnel, to um, you know build some other structures in the business. Uh, and it was going to, you know, there's probably one to two million worth of expense that we would probably need to cash flow into the business over that period of time to, to, to scale it fast. Uh, and so. Um, these two partners in the business uh, and also the, the company that I work for, um, we'd all partnered in the business. The two guys that were employees were now, um, we'd sold shares in the business and they, um, to hold on to them, um, you know, you've got, got to have your good people, but um, you can, there's an opportunity to hold on to people for a long time if they've got some skin in the game so they bought into the business. And we decided that rather than us all throw money in, we would actually... Look for some equity partners. Uh, so we raised about two and a half mil through an equity raise. Um, we sold down some of our shares we, and got a bit of a payday, which was all nice for us. But also got that you know two and a half million put into the business as well to help um, take that to the next level. Um, that was in t- 2015, and part of that equity raise meant that um, for a period of five years we weren't allowed to take any dividends. Um, and we was you know we're all committed to seeing the company grow. Uh, and um, one of the equity partners came in as the managing director of the business, had a whole heap of experience in this kind of tech space, uh, and um, and then we also had um, our operations director became our um, CEO as well. So we kind of had two key people running the business, uh, and I very much took a back step at that point there, um, but I also had uh, BX was just launching at that time there as well, uh, and it made a decision that I was not definitely the best person to be running the business um, in that space. And we know that when you start splitting your focus, uh, it, it does it definitely impacts the growth that you have in, in any of the businesses that you have. Um, so
0: I just want to pause there for yeah. a second and just highlight a couple of things, and then we'll keep going. Um, it, it just fascinating when you talk about this realization that perhaps you weren't the best person to be running the business or that you're not always, you know, the founders are not always the best people to be running the business. Um, and, and it's very interesting because we do, as um, as entrepreneurs, as founders, get connected to our businesses as well. So I think that's a really, like it's a fundamental insight that you've just talked about just then. But there is also, um, I, I, I think, you know, on the one hand you might uh, business owners might understand that, but then seeing someone else run their business, baby, without them having control, can be a really hard thing <laughs> from an emotional perspective. You know, based on what I've seen again and again. So that's just one thing. Uh, and not- another thing I wanted to come back to—it's this interesting concept of when you get on board capital, and then you're driven by the requirements of others as well, rather than just yourself at that time. But that whole no- five years no dividends. That that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because yeah. then that's it. You you're sort of you're locked in, and you're not taking you're not taking um, money off the table along the way. So, whilst you said you, you got a bit of money off the table at the point of that raise, then that's it. You've got five years where where you can't touch it again. Yeah. So that that must have taken a bit of. Um, soul searching to you know to commit to that path
1: i guess it's about seeing the bigger picture i think seeing the bigger picture in both elements you know the 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 role and the bringing on partners and the loss of control and also the the, you know the non-dividend side of it it's about seeing the big picture so for iws the big picture for us was that hey we could be um you know a, a small seven figure business we could keep sort of you know growing organically uh, but we would never be able to go to you know eight figures and beyond if we didn't do something different. Um, and we made a decision not to invest that money into the business. To do that, we wanted to bring partners on. And so you just have to make a decision. If you're not going to put the money down, then you kind of need to give up some of that opportunity in the short term for the long term result. And, uh, and look, you're paid off uh, tenfold in that process as well uh, because we then sold it five years later um, to a public or six years later to a public company just last year um, which is a whole another exciting element to what happened with that business but the CEO side of it um, you know I look at the same scenario that I looked at with IWS I look at that with BX and there's just I guess you've got to be careful uh, um, of, of confusing your own ego with your ability and um, and not even your ability. In IWS, it was, it was merely time. I didn't have the capacity to do the role. There's just no way I could have done that and done the other stuff that I was doing. I still had a few retail shops. I was just starting BX. Um, I was already maxed with my focus. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't matter what people you've got in roles. If you're taking the the, the senior role over, the, over leading those people, then you are going to be a cap on the on the success of that organisation. Uh, so it was a complete step out of of IWS. I you know wasn't wasn't the CEO, I wasn't the managing director, I wasn't involved in in strategy moving forward with that business, like I certainly had been um, since founding it uh, ten years before that. So that's a pretty hard, tough. Um, position to make but I knew where it was going as well Um, and I was passionate and deeply passionate about the new projects that I had involved as well so that was good I wasn't going to nothing you know I look at the situation with BX at the moment and we've got you know we're in Australia New Zealand the US we're launching in Canada we've got some things happening across in Europe and I'm like I think I'm doing a pretty good job so far with it but (laughs) but where is my Where's my limit of capacity? Where not even capacity? Experience. I have never run an international organisation before, so where is my ability to, to keep doing that? Um, and I'm learning all the time. Like you've got to be open to learning. I, like I, uh, you know, the stuff that I that I learn about, read about, po- listen to podcasts about to to get me up to speed on things, and uh, especially when dealing in different countries, uh, is crazy. But there's a point where you actually become the the ceiling, the lid on your organization and the success of your organization. So I know with BX, there'll be a point in the next three, four, five years where I'm going to go, you know what, there's going to be some very clever uh, person who can come in and run this organization that has way more skills in international business than I do. Um, and I can step aside and still be involved strategically um, and on the board uh, very much as my other partners might like to be as well, but not have to have the responsibility of running the business um, and give that to somebody who's much more skilled at doing that. Um, right now, that's not the time for it because, uh, you know, the, the the skills that I have is still something that, that I can give to continue to grow that business. Uh, but I recognise in IBS that the time, had come to let go, um, and it's you know it's hard because I said it's you know ego, uh, ego and experience are two critical factors. When when the experience um, you know does not match uh, what the company needs, you need to let go of the role. Um, and I think a lot of us get caught up in the the title that we have, um, and, and, and you know it's human nature. Um, its significance, you know, Tony Robbins talks about the seven the, the needs we have, um, and uh, you know, significance is part of that. So we get wrapped up in, in what that means to us. But if it's not serving us, then it's probably a good thing to let go of that and to find someone who actually can do it, do exceptionally well out of it. And then everyone benefits. You benefit, your team benefit, uh, you know, the your consumers benefit. Everyone, everyone benefits from that. And uh, that's an exciting place to be in as well. And that letting go is an exciting place to be in as well. And I know with IWS, it was quite cathartic when I went, Actually, I'm no longer responsible for that. <laughs> like, whew, that's actually fantastic, and I can see it grow. And I and I look at you know the the operations manager I put on ten years before that, uh, and uh, eight years before that, I saw him grow, and and I you know invested in the business, and then he took on the operations director role, then he became the CEO. Like, yeah, I'm enormously proud of that. Like, that's that's a testament to being able to um, allow people to grow. Uh, within your team, and to see what someone like that can um, achieve off the back of that. Now, if I was a um, you know wanted to hold under the control of the organisation the whole time, he would never have been able to flourish um, like that at all. And it's pretty exciting to see where he's he's gone and what he's been able to achieve with the organisation off that as well.
0: So. So out of all of this, so we've sold to a public company and just in mind, I, I just want to quickly come back to selling shares to employees as well, because that's, I think that, you know, absolutely is something that lots of businesses are thinking about um, very sensibly. But before we get there, let's just talk about the experience in selling to a public company. Obviously, obviously very different um, experience to selling the other types of businesses you had and, and um, you know, obviously very different buyer pools between the two. Let's talk about what you you know, any surprises that you had in selling to a public company. What how did you know, how did you feel about the process? Let's
1: um ha- selling to a, a public company is like having a rectal exam. Um <laughs> <it's>, oh, not <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's nothing that um doesn't hit the table um and um see the cold light of day. It is like a grueling experience. Um, and um, like, it's very eye-opening uh, as well. But uh, it is—it's full on. Like, it went on for over a year. The due diligence process um, for well,
0: okay—that's even for selling to a public company. And I think, can we talk about the sale price here? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's public.
1: It's online, so, so yeah.
0: Yep, So, so a sixteen million dollars sale. What I, I can tell you right now, um, it, selling to a pub, even selling to a public company, selling to anyone, a year in DD, like that's pretty on. Yeah, that's a very long time. It was during
1: COVID through. too. That might have oh, a- added to that COVID, time frame. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I mean, you, you know, hats off to you for making it through to the end. There. That's. Um, it's not unusual. Um, in those sorts of situations. In any, in any, you know, sale of a business, it's not unusual for deals to fall through yeah, every now yeah. and again. But um, it, certainly it's still not unusual for public companies um, or, or um, sophisticated buyers who might be out analysing multiple businesses at one time um, and just a bit of sort of, you know, the behind-the-scenes information quite often sometimes it like, can take a long period of time in DDs because they're actually running different deals at, at the similar time. Time and going through DD in different organizations at a similar time. And so as a, as a seller, just as a tip here, you have to be really careful to keep your eye on that potential pool of buyers if they drop out, because it can be um, it can be absolutely horrendous emotionally if you've been through a long period of DD. And then it drops off. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. a horrible experience. But you have to hold tight you do. and not drop your price if that's the outcome. Because sometimes it can be a negotiation tactic.
1: Absolutely. So
0: so so a year of DD. Um, they've, you know, they've investigated everything, including the kitchen sink, um, and you know, you've you've probably, you know, learnt far more than you ever wanted to know about data rooms. Yes. You know, so, <laughs> am I guessing? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's really interesting. Well, the, the strategy was uh, when we did the equity raise, we're either going to take it public in five years, or we're going to sell it public in five years. Um, and the thing about a public organisation, when when you um, either when a public company either buy when they buy an existing private entity and take it public, there's an inflationary matrix or process that happens um, to the value of those shares. So that from a um, selling to a public company perspective, it's fantastic because it means that the value of your business, you know, it could go up ten times uh, from when what it's worth at a private sale through to at a uh, what it becomes part of that public organisation. So it makes you negotiating. Better and it makes uh, so it gives you much more scope. And you know, typically you talk about you know, two or three times a profit multiple. Well, imagine that that's going to be 10 times more when, when it goes public. You've got a lot more negotiating room in there as well, which means that when you take your own public, your own company public you have that sort of inflationary benefit as well. Uh, and so that's why it was always a strategy with that. But I'll tell you what, there it's a it's a fun process to go through.
0: He uh- <laughs> <laughs> says with t- his tongue firmly in his cheek. Love it, love it, love it. <laughs> um, but, you know, a- as you rightly say, whilst it can be a painful process when you reflect on it, generally the process, if it continues through and you get the value that um, had been discussed in the beginning and they don't, um, end up dropping the price out on you at some point during the process when they feel that you're most susceptible to uh, take it and accept it. Um, you, you do have the opportunity of a much higher multiple than if you sell to um, a um, a private um, individual buyer. So um, so and and that's the that's the win. That's the reason for it. That's why you go through that that pain. Um, But it doesn't necessarily have to be a year of DD. Um, And in fact, that's quite often why we'll develop timelines and try and keep people in timelines because otherwise it can be a very harrowing process when it goes on for so long. Um, And so we've talked about selling to a public company and and was that a complete exit then or or were were shares? The
1: deal was that we ended up with uh, both a cash payout of our shares, um, plus some shares in the public company as well. So, um, and we're not allowed to do anything with those shares for a couple of years after the sale of that of that as well. So there was a couple of different elements there, uh, but we don't own any shares of IWS um, as such. So there's no shareholders of IWS now. The, the, the public company owns all of that. Um, but we do have shares in, in that public company as well, so it's you know it was really like I'd never done any of that before, and and hats off obviously to the um, CEO and the operations team and the the team that orchestrated the deal because obviously it wasn't as involved in that part of the process as I had been five years before with the equity raise and through the running of the business before that. Um, but yeah, like it's just an amazing amazing journey to to see your business that was an idea um, that. Served my businesses and taking it to a place where it could serve, you know, thousands of business owners uh, across Australia. Which is this is it's like it's a proud yes. daddy moment kind of thing.
0: Hundred <laughs> percent, such an exciting moment. And I say this all the time. I'm I'm sure the listeners are so sick of me saying it, but do you know what? I just love this area of law because I love deals. and you know, and I just love the joy that it you know it's just it really is that moment of crystallization of yeah. all of those hard years of work when you get to that point of exit if you can do exit right
1: yeah absolutely
0: and I ultimately that's what it's about isn't it you know when we're growing the business trying to ensure that we get to that day where we look back and feel, joy that we feel like we walked the road as well as we could have at that point, at at the time.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Really quickly, before we wrap up on this section and move to the current day business, um, selling shares to employees. Let's quickly look at that. Um, Was that, to talk to us about how you came up with a value for the employees. Did they pay it up front or did they, um, did it get paid over time? by dividends yeah. talk to us how about that.
1: so a combination of both those elements there um it came with IWS it came about a little bit by uh, twisting the arm behind the back as well as uh, um so we got to a place where um and this can happen in an organization as well you know people feel the value they're contributing exceeds that of an employee um mm. and um you know like Me as an employee, I always gave way more value than what I was probably being paid for. Many of us uh, would never be paid the value in an organisation of what we're actually contributing. Um, But I guess that's, you know, that's part and parcel of just what working for uh, an employer is about sometimes. Um, but. In this instance, the employees we had the two key um, drivers of the organisation working for me at the time they were like amazing employees, giving heaps of value to the business, um, and they wanted more than just a um, a paycheck. And because we we're a startup at the time, they wouldn't and they weren't earning uh, a pay packet proportionate to kind of the corporate executive salary to what they would be getting based on that as well. And so they basically said, "Well, look." You know, we'd love a big pay rise or we'd like to, you know, buy in and get some equity in the business. And um, I thought we thought about that, whether or not we could afford to give them the pay rise at the time or whether, you know, equity was going to actually tie them um, into, one, not have to have a conversation in the future about this again, Um, not to lose them because there's a cost of losing great people. And so we just worked together uh, with them to work out what the best solution for them was um, in terms of what they could financially afford to buy in with because we wanted them to have skin in the game. We wanted them to, to feel like, well, we needed them to, f- uh, to feel financially invested, not just go, here's X percent and, by the way, you're going to pay it off over the next five years because that's kind of not real then. You want them to have to put something down the table so it's skin in the game. That ties them in. Um, because it's easy still to walk away from something that you haven't had to put any money down for. Uh, so I feel like some skin in the game is, is a key element to it, uh, but probably not proportionate to the value of the sales. Probably then you could pay those off out of future dividends in the business as well. Um, and it's, I, I reckon it's a great strategy to have um, either a profit share arrangement where they haven't had to f- physically buy in that rewards based on uh, performance in their, in their capacity, or... If they've got and they can financially afford to contribute to the organisation, then putting some money down in order to have that financial buy into the business Um, and then, you know, whether that's for those shares or you um, then have the dividends pay off a higher proportion of that over time as well. Um, But tying people in like that is so crucial.
0: I I, I can't help throwing in from a legal perspective, of course, and then you always always need a tight shareholders' agreement so that you, you know You've dealt with issues of decision-making, distributions, exit, all of those sort of things.
1: It's really interesting. I'll just talk to that for just a sec as well because my business partner in BX is Dale Beaumont. And as I said, Joanna was responsible for the um, negotiations on behalf (laughs) of Dale. um, And I had my legal representation at the time. This was a couple of years ago. And I, um, like, Dale and I would walk in a room, shake on a deal. That's enough for us. We, like... Like, and that's the great thing. Like, actually, we're pretty good partners, I I think, Dale, if you're listening. (laughs) Um, I think we run on a very similar wavelength and we run on a very high level of integrity and trust in each other. And I I feel like, you know, your word is your worth, and I get that with Dale. Um, However, our legal agreements, our shareholders' agreement has everything in it because I don't want to ruin the relationship with Dale because one of us doesn't understand something that we thought we did and there's so much that goes into running an organization and bringing together shareholders that if you don't have pretty much every single uh like contingency that's going to happen um documented in a way to handle it then you could come to blows because there's going to be misunderstanding and so uh, like um, i know my solicitors were pretty full-on in the process, Uh, and I know that Joanna was (laughs) as well, Uh, never, it was never in a, it was never confrontational, it was always, there was like argy-bargy kind of push and pull um, till we came together on stuff, but it was so crucial that we knew what was important to each other and get that articulated in the document. Whereas if we just shook hands, um, that would have been great, but then there's going to be situations where in the future, where we're going to go, oh, well, then how do we handle this? Because this is going to cause an issue if we don't do it this way or this way. And what happens then is you actually can come, you, you, the relationship um, is destroyed over something that could have been sorted out at the beginning. And, and I think that's what we, we did it really well with Dale and I, and I think that that is a, such a crucial part of any arrangement, whether it's an employee buying in, whether it's even just starting a new employee and the understanding that you have with them in your, in your documents. Setting that out in the, in the beginning is much easier than fighting it out at the end, that's for sure.
0: hundred percent. It's just, well, you know, I say these documents as a checklist of the sorts of things you should be talking about that you probably will never talk about unless you're forced to talk about them. And it doesn't have to be difficult, but you, you have that discussion once and then you, everyone's on the same page. And, uh, you know, I think law from the perspective or documentation from the perspective of never having to need it because what it's created is an understanding between the parties is the absolute best outcome. Um, And and that's what everyone should be aiming for ultimately. Um, But, of course, if if you need to pull it out, then everyone knows where they stand. Yes, Um, yes. Okay, great, Matt. Thank you so much. Like what a fabulous story. I just love, you you know, that progression. And, um, of course, we're going to have you back on our next episode of the Deal Room Podcast to talk about where – where you are now, and um, I guess a reflection on the learnings along the way. But in the meantime, before we get to um, the next episode, Wanting to let our listeners know how they can find out about you and find out more about BX because we haven't been able to talk much about BX yet. So, if you're interested, make sure you come to the next episode. But also, Matt, let's um, tell everyone where they can find you and find information about BX.
1: Thanks, Joanna. Well, yeah. So, as you know, BX kicked off in 2015 and is now an organization that runs across several countries. And if you're in any of those locations from Australia, the US, New Zealand, wherever that you're tuning into uh, this podcast form, we'd love to have you along to one of our BX events. In fact, I was going to throw in for you, Joanna, that uh, any of your listeners will shout them a VIP ticket uh, with a complimentary breakfast, lunch, or dinner at one of our events. Uh, If they book in, we will provide the links and stuff in the show notes for you as well. Uh, If you want to find out more about BX in general, you can go to bxnetworking.com where you can find all about BX and what we do. Uh, But make sure you look at the link there that Joanna's going to share with you and you can grab a VIP ticket to one of our events and experience BX, our shout.
0: Wonderful, fabulous, Matt. Thank you so much for coming along. I'm super looking forward to hearing the next installment of your story in the next episode of the Deal Room Podcast. Thanks, Matt. Well, that's it for part two of our three-part series with Matt Alderton. Join in for our next part, part three, the last part of this three-part series, where Matt and I talk all about how to build a business by learning from the past. So in this third part of our three-part series, Matt discusses his current business and international expansion and some of the important learnings he is now implementing in this new business. And in this episode, we also have a number of rapid fire questions where we compare owning a franchise to other types of businesses, the best approach to staff retention, how to maximize value in a business and so much more. Now, if you'd like information about this topic or to connect with Matt Alderton at BX Networking, then check out our show notes, which will send you straight over to our episode page at thedealroompodcast.com. You'll also there find details of how to contact our legal eagles at Aspect Legal about anything related to this topic, or you can head over to our website at www.aspectlegal.com dot com dot au to book a free 15-minute discussion with our legal team. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. We love hearing feedback, so we'd love you to leave us a review and rating if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time.